What is good, guys and gals, and welcome to the Films and Pixels podcast, episode 38. I'm your host, Afif. Thank you for tuning in once again to this episode, to my podcast series. It means a lot, so I really do appreciate it that you take the time from your day, whether you're busy or not, whatever, in day or night. So again, like, thank you so much. I really do appreciate it. And, you know, I would be really grateful if you can subscribe. So please subscribe if you're willing to, if you want more of these podcast episodes. It, it means a lot. So, you know, thank you so much. Anyway, and um, you know what? I, at first, like, I didn't know what I wanted to talk about for episode 38. But after a couple of days, I realized I found some interesting topics that, like, are kind of hilarious, but also I think meaningful to like kind of discuss as well as reviewing a movie I saw like I think a week ago last weekend. So yeah, I'm gonna review and react to Fast X, the tenth Fast and Furious movie. Uh, talk about one of the major movies that got banned in the Middle East North Africa region, plus a possible and surprise fight match between Elon Musk and Mark Zuckerberg. Millionaires fighting each other, tech millionaires fighting each other, something I totally didn't think I'd ever see, and will it ever happen? It's sounding like it, but I'll talk more about it. Uh, plus, uh, the status of E3, used to, which used to be one of the most popular entertainment venues and events, especially in gaming. Uh, plus, uh, some controversy regarding uh, Secret Invasion's opening uh, credit sequence and why it's causing a bit of a stir. So yeah, those are the topics for this episode. But uh, yeah, I, I just think those are really important just for me to discuss, you know, here recording on mic in front of the camera. So, I mean, you know, and, and just because like, basically like it's, there are a lot of conversations regarding some of these topics, especially the situation with secret invasion. But like, you, you know, despite everything that's happening especially with the submarine incident you know that's also sad but i don't want to bring that up again without going off topic let's proceed forward with the films at pixels podcast from here on out all right so first topic um you know i do want to mention a movie that i saw last week and just give my chance now to review and that would be fast x so this is the 10th Fast and Furious movie from Universal Studios. And, you know, you know, if you've seen enough of these movies, I think you know what to expect. You know, big action set pieces, crazy car chase sequences, street racing, um, fist fighting, street fighting, you know, big bombastic explosions. And of course... Uh, you know, family, the whole thing with family, with uh, Vin Diesel, Dom Toretto, family and all that stuff. But I think it, it's more than that. It's also kind of kind of like a revenge movie as well, especially for uh, Jason Momoa's new character. He plays Dante Reyes. He's the son of Hernan Reyes, the antagonist that we saw in Fast Five, which that movie in particular to me is the best in the whole franchise. So why is he after Dominic Toretto and his gang? Well, basically because of them killing his father and also the loss of his family's fortune. So, I mean, just the fact that it take, took all this time just to get to this point. I mean, I just feel like the existence of Dante is really just more cash cowing the whole franchise. It's so obvious. But anyway, his attempts in this movie, like, 
you know, what I was really impressed with his acting, he, he seemed to have a lot of fun, really maniacal, you know, there was a hint, a, a tint of sarcasm as well. You know, to me, Jason Momoa seemed like he had more fun as Dante Reyes more than he did as Aquaman. That's just my observation. So I, I thought he had a great performance and really the standout actor for the movie itself. But yeah, like like I said, it's it's nothing that you're going to be surprised about or shocked. But again, like it does carry the plot forward. Most of the characters that we've seen over the past four or five movies, they do make a return one way or another. Of course they are. And these, you know, these actors are major stars, whether they used to be antagonists and now they have to be like secondary antagonists. So it's, it's just, to me, it's, it's trying to be like infinity war with, you know, big major villain, like Dante Reyes, you know, tearing everything apart, you know what I mean? Going after everyone. And so I thought like his performance was Joker-esque, you know what I mean? You know, so that's what I thought, like. An Infinity War style movie of like an antagonist like him achieving his goals of like taking down Dominic Toretto and his gang and his family, if you want to call it. So that's what I thought. And I like that there was more of uh, his son, Little B, really being like, uh, I, again, still like a kid. Not that he had like anything major, but I mean, like, you know, now there's more of him in, in a way, despite him being in danger, obviously. I mean, it's not exactly a shocker. We saw it in the trailer. But also the introduction of a couple of uh, characters. One of them is Tess, supposedly Mr. Nobody's daughter. There, he, She's just there as an ally for Dom Toretto. But I mean, I didn't think her presence was really important, except for maybe a few moments, but that was it. And also, um, I forgot her name, but also played by Daniela Melchior. Um you know, most people might remember her from Ratcatcher from this Suicide Squad, the one directed by James Gunn, and she makes an appearance here as uh, Little B's aunt and also the sister of Elena, the one who was killed by Cypher in The Fate of the Furious. So uh, ju just for the Dom and Elena to kind of interact here was important. And you, you get to really see how no matter what Toretto, no matter what the gang tries to do, I mean, they like he's always like, 10 15 steps ahead of them and it's almost like he planned this for years so of course like he studied them and all that sort of stuff and what happened in the opening sequence and first act in rome with the metal bomb i mean that was insane that was really an insane action sequence and how like it's almost like for dom like his car is like a supercar you know using his car to hit like a crane just so that the bomb goes to the water and try to minimize the casualties and the impact it's still kind of crazy but i'm really glad like as well when it comes to the majority of the characters in this movie you know the chemistry is still there <laughs> i thought i would get tired of uh, roman pierce and tej in the movie Ludacris and tyrese gibson the actors and it, it's still kind of fun to watch it they're still funny and i love that scene especially when there was D pete davidson somewhere in the second act where both of them were just fighting like fisticuffs just because they were tired of one another and all that sort of stuff. So yeah, I mean, that that was just kind of it. But I mean, of course, like when it comes to the action sequences at this point, like I don't think anything is a shocker, but I know it's just hard to find something to do and to come up with. But I mean, I, I want to talk about the third act because really the third act when it came to Dom trying to save his son from Dante and there was that Ames guy played by Alan Richson 
And of course, uh, Dom's brother, Jacob, makes a return, played by John Cena. You know, that whole uh, chase sequence, especially with those two trucks, was about to crush Dom and Little B. I mean, I'm just sitting there. My heart was like pumping because like, I'm like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, what's happening? What's going to happen? What might happen? And like, you know, those sort of like highway chase sequences, like it sort of reminded me of one of them in Fast 6 and also maybe one of the other ones where like somehow, some way, like, you know, jumping from one car to the other. And that's kind of what happened with Little B miraculously, uh, you know, Dom saving his son. So, I, I mean, like, of course, like, no one can really do that, but like, you know, they're defying the laws of physics. Let's just be honest. They're, th these movies are just defying the laws of physics, but they're just fun entertainment. They're sort of a good story. I'm not going to call it one of the best somewhere like, you know, with 1011 movies now, if you want to count the Hobbs and Shaw spinoff, which let's be honest, was totally unnecessary. Like somewhere in the middle, Fast X. And we know that this franchise is coming to an end soon because the story established here will continue for maybe another one or maybe like two or three parts. So it's ongoing. So of course, like Dante is more crazier than we thought. And if it does end in a cliffhanger and what's going to ha what happens with everyone, I mean, it's still a major unknown. I want to talk about a couple of returning characters. I don't want to spoil it. Uh, one of them who we thought was dead because... Again, I'm kind of getting fed up of like these movies telling us or showing us like a couple of characters. We saw one in Fast 9 and now in this one and we all assumed that they were dead and somehow, some way, you know, they're actually alive. And, you know, this is supposed to be an action movie like with real life consequences. This It's not comic books. It's not sci-fi. Uh, it's not whatever. It's not anything else. It's not wizarding. You know, it's not like fantasy. It's not sci-fi it's not any, anything else it's not like something from past ages or the medieval whatever like any any kind of genre that you could sort of think of that's it, it is a action blockbuster at this point but like it's almost like the death of a couple of these characters that we've seen now in these recent two movies it's like okay why why lead us to believe it it's almost like there's no consequence to death of these characters anymore you know it's almost like the impact of them is minimal I was surprised also about another actor making a return after a very public off-screen feud with uh, Vin Diesel. I mean, it's nice to see him again, but I mean, like, <laughs> I didn't really expect him to come back after all that was said about him being a candy ass. I think you all know who I'm referring to, so that was just kind of a surprise to me. But yeah, I mean, like, look, if you want a fun action movie... If you're still a fan, if you still can like accept it and handle what it is at this point, especially like street racing, gunfights, car chasing, somewhere with a big explosion, and of course like somewhere all about family. Man, what what else is missing in the formula? And like you know, Vin Diesel's deep voice. I mean, anything else that I'm probably missing? I know I nailed the most, especially with the scene with street racing and, uh, you know, people dancing in the streets and booty shaking and all that stuff. Yeah, I mean, it, it's mostly the same formula, but it's the movie is just really, it's much intense. And like, I mean, I have to give a lot of credit for, to Jason Momoa for making his on-screen presence felt here. And just like I said earlier, 
being very maniacal and in a lot of ways sarcastic. So this is still a pretty decent film, but there have been better Fast and Furious movies in the past. I would say like a seven out of 10. I think that's generous. Like to me, it's more of a seven out of 10 movie. So yeah, if it's still in your local movie theaters or if it's already on by now video on demand, go watch it. Maybe you might like it. Maybe you'll be impressed with Momo's performance. Because like I said earlier to me, I thought he had more fun in this movie than he did so as Aquaman. So pretty decent performances by the cast and uh, still a pretty good movie by itself as well. Guys and gals, to find out that Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse was banned across the Middle East, North Africa region was shocking. I really did not expect that. Just the day before it was going to come to theaters, to find out that the movie got banned, wow. Um, I was really looking forward to this movie. I did not see that coming. And you know what? The reasons um, by by itself, not exactly a surprise, but wow, I, I did not see that coming. Supposedly with LGBTQ plus content plus um, possible LGBTQ plus characters as well. So I understand it. As far as I'm aware, it is banned in Lebanon, Kuwait, Saudi Arabia, Bahrain, Egypt, UAE, Oman, Qatar, and likely more countries such as Jordan among them as well. I don't know. I mean, I mean, I don't mean to forget any more countries, but you know, across the you know, across the MENA region, I mean, it's... Uh, I understand why, but I mean... Or likely there couldn't be any more compromise to cutting any scenes. It, you know, just like last year with Lightyear, Band, and even uh, the second Minions movie, The Rise of Gru. Yeah, Minions, Rise of Gru. Is it me or am I noticing, like, animated movies with some sort of sensitive content that, you know, is you know, doesn't follow or doesn't really like, how do I explain it? That's not really allowed, I guess, in a way that doesn't follow the practices and the beliefs of a lot of the countries in the region, you know, get banned. And that's really understandable, unfortunate that it comes to this. But I I, you know, I don't want to sit here and criticize anyone that's really like to have made these decisions because we're used to it. We don't like it, but we just have to accept it what it is. And it's supposedly like one of the scenes included a poster about protecting trans kids in this in across the spider her. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, look, I get it. I mean, I was really excited. I mean, Into the Spider-Verse was so good. And of course, like the trailers that we've seen for Across the Spider-Verse, the animation looks really amazing. I really wanted to experience it. And to know that it's, one of the best Spidey films and really getting perfect review scores or close to review scores, like either nine out of 10 or 10 out of 10. Like, of course, it's clearly a better superhero movie than some of the other films released throughout the year, like Shazam, Fury of the Gods. I didn't see that one yet, but I'm, I have no doubt, you know, it's mediocre and supposedly the flash, not that great. But then again, as someone who hasn't watched it yet, I can't really say it, but you know, to be surprised about Across the Spider-Verse being banned. Oof. I, ouch. 
Right. You know what? Probably the first Spider-Man movie I could think of that got banned. So, wow. Uh, maybe later on I'll find a way to watch it. But I, I got to say, like, this was really disappointing. Did a lot of these countries make the right decisions? Uh, let me know in the comment section below and if they were right or wrong. I, I like to know your opinions. So please, you know, comments are welcome and your opinions are, you know, I'm open to knowing your opinions if you can. Okay, so if you're hoping for a bunch of rich tech millionaire guys to really have an actual fisticuffs, like really get into a serious fight, I go, you know, I'm happy to say, you know, that that might actually turn into a reality. There's talk that both Mark Zuckerberg and Elon Musk might actually get into a fist fight. I mean, it's so unexpected and yet like kind of hilarious at the same time. You know, dudes like Mark Zuckerberg with all the meta apps of Facebook, Instagram, the Messenger, WhatsApp, and then Elon Musk, you know. Twitter, or at least he had Twitter for a, for a while, but loves Twitter and Tesla and everything he has going on with the Tesla cars and Tesla rockets. Uh, it's just funny how all this has happened. Like, um, I get it. It's, it, you know, it's still like really hilarious as well. And, you know, I love this picture I found because Mark Zuckerberg, like, I, I will show you that he's competed in jujitsu, but I love this picture I found of Mark Zuckerberg and Dana White. For UFC Vegas 61, which is so funny. I mean, well, I mean, it's not funny, but I mean, like, it's evidence that something like this between Musk and Zuckerberg is going to happen. And apparently, like, Elon Musk Musk does train sumo wrestling and jiu-jitsu. Like, I'm looking at a picture here, like, like, it looks like he's training with a sumo wrestler. That's just really hilarious. Yeah, so he's training Kaioshin Karate, Taekwondo, Judo, and Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. I did not think that Elon Musk is kind of fighting. He doesn't strike me as someone who knows like how to really fight. But yeah, like I was just mentioning, like even Mark Zuckerberg actually has competed in jujitsu contests in the Silicon Valley and has been training for a year. And I think he won one of the tournaments. So it's just crazy to think like these dudes who are super rich and make a lot of money, like actually like compete in these, co train and compete in these kinds of competitions. <laughs> uh I don't know how this happened, but I love how, like, I think Elon Musk assumed, like, he could probably beat Mark Zuckerberg, or I, supposedly, like, there was a story about, like, you know, trying trying to rival Instagram as a text app sort of thing. It's so funny. I think an interaction happened on Twitter, I think, like, with someone. Like, I'm up for a cage match if he is, lol. Wait, hold on. Wait, before I go back to that. Um... Yeah, hold on. Yeah, 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 I found him. Yeah, so I think regarding like how like Zuckerberg was like training a lot, like be careful, Elon Musk. I heard he does jujitsu now. He goes like, I'm up for a cage match, lol. <laughs> and then someone also said, lol, I love you, Elon, but you better start training. <laughs> Laughing emojis. And then the best part was when Mark Zuckerberg screenshotted that whole thread, posted on his Instagram story and said, send me location. Yeah, he sounds serious. I mean, these guys sound like they're serious about fighting each other and, you know, making it work with Dana White. Dana White, obviously some people know, president of UFC. 
And it's funny that, of course, he's involved. Like, he wants to capitalize on the buzz, marketing, market the possible fight, advertise the whole thing, you know, make a lot of money off of two guys. If they're super rich, try to, you know, take more money off of them, probably. Like, make money from Elon Musk and Mark Zuckerberg. They're not really fighters, and yet the idea of them fighting is just hilarious. And I'm sure, you're, like, he's going to do what it takes to book a fight in Vegas at, at some sort of octagon. If it makes UFC a lot of money, which of course it will. I mean, we've seen fights with, I think, is it Lo Logan Paul or Jake Paul, you know, with boxing. You saw Conor McGregor. He's really more UFC. He did boxing at boss. So, of course, like, you know, if there's going to be a fight and if there's if it's going to bring a lot of money for Dana White, of course, he's going to do what it takes to really capitalize on this opportunity. But the thought of Mark Zuckerberg and Elon Musk fighting is... Oh my god! Like it, it's just kind of hilarious. Like I don't think it's gonna happen, but you know I'm willing to believe it will when I see it and when there's an actual date. But I mean, it, it's just funny how like it send me location. Like whoa! Like this might be real. So I I'd like to see it, but I doubt that it'll come into fruition eventually. As most of you may have noticed, the last time we had an actual E3 event was way back in 2019, which I know was not too long ago, but with everything that's happened with COVID-19 and everything else, we have not seen a digital or an in-person E3 event since 2019. Obviously, the pandemic, the start of the pandemic in 2020, canceled E3 2020. There were promises or at least discussions of E3 coming back as a digital event in 2021 or maybe 2022. Was there a digital event somewhere in the past few, couple of years? Remind me, but I, I recall not noticing an E3 digital event and there likely isn't one this year. And you know what? There are talks that maybe it might not come back in the next two years or maybe it will. But you know, there are discussions that it seemed like more and more companies were noticing they're having like their own showcases, their own digital presentations, their own separate shows. Of course, whether it's the big three of Sony, Microsoft, Nintendo, or like obviously in, in some cases, we're seeing Ubisoft having their own showcase. I think Bethesda, of course, now that they're part of Microsoft brand, but Bethesda having their own showcase as well. I think EA at, at some point, or even like other companies like Capcom as well. I know that Capcom, have. I remember them doing something with, uh, you know, showcasing details about Resident Evil 4 Remake and Street Fighter 6 before they were out uh, this year. So those are just examples, you know, just having their own, controlling their own narrative of how they want to do their own presentations and not following a scheduled format. And I think that's the problem. Maybe they're just not catching up to the times, I think. But um, also, it doesn't help that Although there is a Summer Jam Games Fest, it's not meant to be a replacement. I think the Summer Jam Games Fest has sort of, you know, I think it's caught up to the times as well. I, I don't know what it is. I, it is popular. It's not meant to be a replacement, but I mean, it's a good thing that it's better than like nothing that's not bringing some sort of excitement when it comes to these sort of events, whether it's game trailers or premieres or anything like that that people like to be excited about. So at least there is something. But uh, yeah, it sounds like whether about E3 2023, it's not likely not happening. And 
e- the ESA is supposedly an organizer group that handles the business of organizing E3 events, also funding and, you know, books companies to come do their presentations and all that makes deals with a lot of gaming tech companies and all that sort of stuff. You know, had they had a, there was an interview with uh, ES between ESA from the game industry.biz one quote saying ESA is currently having conversations about E3 2024 and beyond and no final decisions about the event have been, have been made at this time. So basically we don't know yet if there's going to be E3 in the next few years, but based on how all these companies are operating and how they don't seem as interested as before, uh, you know what? Chances are it's, uh, you know, it's less than likely. But I do have a few quotes because I do want to share. So one of the most important parts, uh, does E3 need the big three of Nintendo, Sony, and Xbox have any chance? And uh, the one of the, and the part of the answer is E3 will iterate to ensure it's meeting the needs of companies that want to market on this global platform. That means it will iterate on, in how people engage with E3. We want to meet the needs of players who view this as an important platform that's going to evolve over time. Okay, cool. Now, is it coming back next year? I know I said part of the quote. We're committed to pro- providing an industry platform for marketing and convening, but we want to make sure we find that right balance that meets the needs of the industry. We're certainly going to be listening and ensuring whatever you want to offer meets those needs. And at that time, we will have more news to share. Okay, cool. So to me, that sounds like, like I said, maybe it's not completely canceled, but it's sort of like in the middle somewhere, you know, like there's a bit of uncertainty. So if E3 was to continue, how would you do it? Does it need a complete reset? That's an important question. This, the answer might be long, but important. What we want to make sure we are doing is providing a platform that works for the needs industry. Whoops. That means continuing to ask. Yeah. We want to make sure we are doing what we are doing is providing a platform that works for the the needs of the industry. That means continuing to ask the questions we are asking in the last round, but also monitoring how they want to deploy their assets in an evolving world. But we also need to be mindful that we are in the midst of a very different period for industry in terms of game development and economic headwinds. So we want to make sure we are providing a platform in a way that is sustainable for today and in the future. So what do you take out of it? What did I take out of it for me? Well, I, I do think one, you know, I, I suppose the way E3 event is supposed to be structured, it does need to have some work. And I think one of the founders for E3 said that the summer, the summer jam games fest, that's not the reason why there's no E3 supposedly like E3 has not really like evolved as well. So part of the reason is that E3 needs to find another way to be exciting and not stagnate. And I think that's part of the problem as well. But it is strange that like there isn't much going on. Like I thought by now, like everyone would be back to E3, maybe have something new and fresh, innovative, make it exciting in some ways and all that good stuff. So it's just kind of weird. There's even talks that maybe a few companies might not show up to this year's San Diego Comic-Con. But if I know anything regarding SDCC, I'll... I'll share some news 
and provide some analysis, but I thought that was just kind of strange as well. But yeah, it looks like to me, for the first time in a long time, E3 might be in serious danger of being completely irrelevant and no longer existent in the gaming tech industry as we know it today. All right, guys and gals. So the first episode of Secret Invasion on Disney Plus has premiered. And while a lot, while there's been some talk while about like if is the first episode good or not, that's not why the series right now is making a lot of noise. There's really more controversy surrounding by how the opening sequences, the opening credits were done and how it was made and how it all came together. It turns out that, uh, you know, Method Studios, who partnered with Marvel Studios on the project for the TV show and also worked on Loki, Miss Marvel, uh, Moon Knight as well, used uh, like custom-made AI projects, AI tools as well. So in, in other words, AI was actually used for the opening sequence of Secret Invasion, which is crazy. But they did say that no artist's jobs were replaced by using these new tools and all that. But still, when you're using AI, it means that artists, development uh, tools, developing artists, um, you know, art creators, you know, people that are credited for doing some kind of artwork, motion animation work, you know, uh, designing, designing the animation, all that good stuff for opening sequences of popular TV shows. Now, of course, like when you're not part of the project, you, you know, your work is like scrapped. So that's not a good thing. And even a couple of people on Twitter uh, really were upset about AI being used, but, but no one was like replaced. They did use a custom AI tool for the project, but, uh, you know, the pro I do have a quote on it. The, the production process was highly collaborative and iterative with a dedicated focus on the specific application of an AI tool set. It involved tremendous uh, effort by talented art directors, animators, and proficient both 2D and 3D artists and developers who employed conventional techniques to craft all the other aspects of the project. However, it is crucial to emphasize that while the AI component provided an optimal result, results, AI is just one tool among the array of tool sets our artists used. So the entire process guided by expert to art direction encompassed the initial storyboard phase, of course, illustration, AI generation, 2D, 3D animation, all that sort of sort to make the whole project come into its final phase and bring it all together. Uh, also, the Method Studios, all those, they did say that uh, the team uh, used to create characters and attributes and movements in the credits. But yeah, again, like no artist's jobs were replaced. But yeah, like it just helped just part of the tools you know with vx technical with the help of ai technical directors and animators and visual effects technical directors art directors and creative leads you know of course we're part of the team but i mean you know i don't want to sound like a news reporter just by stating who said and all that stuff but you know what, what i want to say here is that like again ai itself i mentioned it before it's already a big problem in the tech world it doesn't matter in what aspect in the tech world ai being more and more involved and when ai can do our jobs we don't have jobs so i don't blame 
any artists, any animators, any developers really expressing their concerns, whether through Twitter or any social media platform or vocally, however they want to express their dismay, their concerns, how upset they are about any kind of, you know, any kind of AI tool, any kind of AI programs, you know, using their work or maybe replacing their work, enhancing their work, because then like all the AI, AI does it by itself while everyone who has the knowledge, the experience, you know, to kind of do this sort of stuff, you know, for, for a major motion, a TV show or movie, and then all of a sudden when AI programs are coded to do that sort of thing without much effort from actual humans like us, then it's understandable why it is a problem. Uh, hopefully, like, it doesn't mean that it'll go on more for other TV popular TV series, but, I mean, for AI to be used for the opening sequences of uh, Secret Invasion, I mean, I got, like, an image shows, like, you know, characters shape-shifting into scrolls. I mean, I, I think that's still a pretty cool idea. But, I mean, like, I, I like the thought, but of how it's trying to incorporate something new, but it shouldn't come at the cost of, you know, artists not being so involved. Not They're not being replaced, just for them not to be as involved or not have their talent to be incorporated as before. So, of course, that same sequence will remain for the whole first season. Will more shows follow this path of using AI? I hope not. But it's not a good sign, and I do think it's something just to keep an eye on from here on out. Guys and gals, that was pretty much everything I covered for the Films and Pixels podcast, episode 38. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening from beginning till the end. Really, I appreciate it if you did. Please, please, just subscribe. That's all you have to do. Click on the subscribe button. Like this video, comment, anything, your thoughts, your opinions, whatever. But thank you so much from beginning to end, watching and listening to the whole episode. It's not just on YouTube. It is on Spotify as well. So, you know, feel free to watch as well. I mean, feel free to listen. Sorry. But yeah, like, again, thank you. You know, means a lot. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, I'll just, I'm really glad I covered the topics. I wanted to cover here and that's pretty much it. So good day and good night.